0: Two afternoons with Bill Arnold. I'm the Bill Arnold part of that short sentence. I'm so glad that it is five o'clock on Wednesday Central Time, and it is time for Old Testament characters. And today we're very excited to uh, be inviting Anna Rask to the show. If you have signed up for the uh, Daniel Bible Study, she's the one that organized it and wrote it, and we're so excited to have her with us today. Dr. Peter Kaptur and I are the ones that are the lucky ones that are going to learn all kinds of things today. Uh, Peter, I got to say, this is going to be fun.
1: It is going to be fun. I think you and I are once again faced with that very familiar quandary of having the guests being at least doubly smarter than both of us combined. <laughs> combined, I've had yeah. a chance to talk with Anna a little bit before the show, and I'm really excited for what she all knows about Daniel. Oh, thank you. Well,
0: we, we, we call her an overachiever. Either. Yes, we do. That's, we that's, do. that's very that intimidating true. to people like me. <laughs> yeah. So, Anna, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah
0: and you've got some impressive credentials right now you're uh, currently working on your phd i am um, yes. i don't know if i don't know if you know this but peter has one He got yes. his online i did
1: i was able to buy, buy one online <laughs> yeah so <laughs> yeah you're, you're doing the only, much more work the only that. thing
0: yeah. he needed the only thing he needed was exact change right? <laughs> so
1: <laughs> that's right <laughs> indeed that's <laughs> great yeah you're working out of belfast from what i understand on your phd yeah
2: never been there yeah. but uh yeah it's all online uh, in terms of I, i'm just writing a long paper <laughs> writing my dissertation and communicating with my mentor via Skype and Zoom and just emailing what I've written and talking with him.
1: Yeah. Amazing. And Bill, she was saying before the show that she, the, the podcasts that are part of the Daniel work that she's done, she did all of those in one day. <laughs> what, she had enough information on Daniel to go through six or seven episodes in one day like that. And
2: hey, we only did half of the book.
1: That's <laughs> incredible. That is amazing. Yeah. The the
0: study is six chapters, verse, uh, chapters one through six. And it's a um, a wonderful study. You can go to MyFaithRadio.com and download it, but we've been working on it now. This is day three, so we're really excited to uh, have Anna, who wrote the the uh, study, uh, with us today, today for the full hour. So, Anna, I'm excited what we're going to learn. I know you've uh, done a lot of prep, which is so not like Peter and I.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is, this is the part of the show where she starts carrying the show, I believe. There you go. Right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, right? so... Yeah, we're dying, to le- we're dying to learn more about Daniel. Let's go deep.
2: Sure, sure. Well, what I talked about today, what I want to talk about today was, uh, were some thoughts about three character traits of Daniel. Uh, and I kind of broke them up into, uh, in terms of the first part, it's a two-part comment, and then uh, ending with the third one. And the first part I wanted to talk about was Daniel's wisdom. And as I looked through the book again, I learned that there it's kind of a separation between intellectual wisdom and also practical wisdom. So I want to start with that. And then I'll close out kind of with some thoughts about the faithfulness of Daniel. So uh, kind of tracking through his whole life and how he remained faithful to God throughout all of that. So if you'd like, I I can give a little bit of an intro to kind of say, okay, where where are we when we pick up the book of Daniel and maybe give a few just quick dates and background. So we actually get Daniel to Babylon from Jerusalem. Anna,
0: Anna, remember, you're the prepared
2: one. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, what I I like to just remind ourselves is kind of where in the world are we when we open the book of Daniel? And uh, Daniel chapter one, the events take place in 605 BC. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes against uh, Jerusalem uh, and he takes... Uh, Daniel and his friends, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, probably the names we know them best by, but those are actually their Babylonian names. Uh, So he takes that group of people uh, and a variety of other nobles and... um, Royals to Babylon, and then he compels the king of Judah at that time, who's Jehoiakim, to become his vassal, and he demands tribute from him. Uh, But later, Jehoiakim rebels, and uh, in 598, he is taken in chains to Babylon and later dies there. And we get a new king coming on the scene, King Jehoiachin, and he's gonna rebel in 597. And so Nebuchadnezzar comes back and he takes a second group of people, and this is actually when Ezekiel is deported to Babylon. And so we hear about his prophecies while in Babylon. Uh, and it's during 597 B.C. that Nebuchadnezzar invades Jerusalem, lays seeds to it, takes out all the treasures from the temple and the palace and puts his puppet king on the throne, Zedekiah. And then finally, in 586 B.C., we hear that Zedekiah has rebelled again. Nebuchadnezzar actually lays siege to the city in 588 BC. And this all culminates in the utter destruction of the city and the temple and a final deportation of Judah's citizens. So uh, that is not all talked about in Daniel, but at least in 605 BC, we know that the first group is taken.
1: And they were they were really young. Yes, Daniel Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they when they were brought to Babylon. I, I always had them pictured in my mind as like thirties and forties and mature and yeah. ready to walk in wisdom. But they were really young. They
2: were probably teenagers because if we track it through the rest of their lives, Daniel is in. Babylon and then what is Persia for for decades and actually when he's probably throw, when he's thrown to the lines then he's probably in his mid 80s and I don't know if you look at pictures even at like Sunday school he's a young guy and in the li- no he's probably in his mid 80s maybe even pushing 90 and he outlives the Babylonian empire and lives into the Persian empire so Hmm. I want us to start by thinking like this is just a young kid basically barely even uh, a teenager maybe not even 20 yet so young men that have just a horrible situation happen and they're thrust into a brand new environment and yet we see Daniel exemplifies wisdom and as I said I want to kind of Distinguish between intellectual and practical wisdom. And uh, we see that once he's taken to Babylon, uh, he is put in a three year training program. This is something that the Babylonians did, they would exile whole nations to. Babylon, and they wanted to remove the leadership from the lands that they conquered and put the own, their own people in charge, and they wanted to build up their own nation with skilled people. So that's why they took uh, the nobles and the people, uh, part of the royal family, and they would re educate them, re indoctrinate them, so that they could later serve the interests of the Babylon nation. And that's what Daniel and his friends had to go through. And so we see that he emerges as a picture of wisdom. Uh, and he is basically first in his class as he uh, is starting in uh, this initial training period. And
1: so, wisdom clearly is not just for somebody of a certain kind of age. You're talking no. about wisdom. At, was there something in his background, the way that he would have grown up as an Israelite, that would lead to this? Something unusual that God did for him? How would you account I mean, for this?
2: He is credited as being either. It says that the royal family and nobility were taken in 605 BC. So. That would suggest to me he maybe had a, a good education. Um, but uh, in verse uh, four, it also talks about this. They're looking for people without physical defect. They need to be handsome, and they needed to show aptitude for every kind of learning, quick inform- quick uh, to understand, well informed. So it kind of sounds like he was smart, and then we'll see that God blesses his intellect. Hmm.
1: Yeah. But, I don't know, but I think you and I would have been left behind by that description <laughs> that she was going <laughs> through that. I'm just
0: sitting here thinking, say more, smart person. <laughs> I
2: know. Amazing.
1: Amazing to get some of the background.
2: Yeah. I yeah. mean. It, I had no
1: idea. It definitely It's fascinating.
2: Is. Yeah. Yeah, so they're they're going to be immersed in the culture of their enemies. They're going to learn a new language. They'll learn Akkadian, most likely. That was the native language uh, of uh, of the Babylonians. They'll be indoctrinated with their religion. So, I mean, the Babylonians were polytheists. They had to learn all sorts of their, uh, about their other gods. Uh, but the Babylonians were known for practicing divination, and they studied omens, and they were training magicians and diviners whose job it was to in interpret uh omens things like the patterns of uh how birds would fly or uh horoscopes eclipses things like that and Daniel was is going to receive some of that training because we hear that he is called upon to uh help interpret the king's dreams when he can't understand what they mean so Daniel is being trained in magic, basically, and divination and stuff we don't always think about. But this was a very real thing for the nations surrounding Israel. And Daniel is receiving that training. But we'll see how God, in essence, supersedes that and provides his own wisdom in the midst of what Daniel is, is learning.
0: I have done an inadequate job of studying the book of Daniel. And this is coming alive for me like never before. And if you have not gone to MyFaithRadio.com to sign up for this uh, Daniel Reading the Bible Together study, written by Anna Rask, who's our our, our guest for the day. You must do that because you're going to want to be part of this study because you are going to learn so much. Go go to MyFaithRadio.com, sign up for Reading the Bible Together, the Daniel Study. But right for now, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back with Anna and Peter in just a minute. with Anna Rask. She has written the study on the book of Daniel. If you've gone to myfaithradio.com and signed up for it, you know how good this is. We have her for the whole hour. So uh, Peter, we were just talking during the break about maybe we need to learn about some of the the wisdom that we get out of chapters two and chapters five.
1: Yeah, it was interesting because, Anna, before the break, you were talking a little bit about what the sources of accepted wisdom would Mm -hmm. have been for the Babylonians, things like divination and omens and reading the stars and the signs. And and Daniel is obviously involved in some of that there, but he's also showing a different pathway of wisdom.
2: Yeah. And actually, the point of uh, similarity between Babylonian divination and actually Israelite divination, because in essence, divination is just understanding what God's will is. And so the Israelites had acceptable forms of divination, and dreams were one of them. And that's the point of correlation between Babylonian and Israelite wisdom. They both viewed dreams as an acceptable form of divination that the gods, or in Daniel's case, God is speaking and has a message to say. And so we actually see that Uh, Daniel's going to triumph over the Babylonian wise men, even though they've received the exact same education. Uh, if I can just point out what chapter one says at the very end, um, We see that God gave these four men, so Daniel and his three friends, understanding of visions and dreams, and uh, they're able to understand their literature and learning. And by the end of the time of this three-year period that uh, Daniel and his friends endure in Babylon, they are presented to Nebuchadnezzar, and it says that he found none equal (laughs) to Daniel and his friends. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his kingdom. And so we start to see a difference, like they have the same education, but God is blessing Daniel and his friends. We see that Nebuchadnezzar's wise men claim to receive their wisdom from their many gods, and the people of Judah believed those were false gods. And in Daniel, this is represented as false wisdom. But in the book of Daniel, uh, we see that Daniel and his friends triumph because their wisdom is actually coming from the true source of wisdom— which is God. Hmm. And so we see that actually in chapters two, four, and five, those are three places where Daniel uh, succeeds and the Babylonian diviners fail. And so at least in chapter two, Nebuchadnezzar has this troubling dream and he calls for his wise men, apparently not Daniel at this point. And he wants them to not only interpret the dream but tell him what the dream was, which was basically impossible. They they say they can't do that, and the diviners say no king, greater mighty, has ever asked someone to do this. What you're asking is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they don't live among humans. And Daniel knows this too, but he goes to the true source of wisdom, who knows uh, uh, the future and is the revealer of mysteries and. We see that that's where Daniel prevails, and uh, it's because God gave him that interpretation. And same thing in chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar has another dream, calls the wise men. They can't do it, and Daniel is able to do it. It's, again, because God gives him the gift, and constantly we see Daniel attributing this gift of wisdom that he receives back to God. And we know that uh, Daniel's only able to do this because— God is the one who's providing the information. So I find that amazing that where the Babylonian diviners fail, Daniel prevails.
1: And I'm guessing a lot of people listening today have had dreams that they would say they sensed came from God. And so just... Was this a specific thing that God was doing in the book of Daniel to sort of show Babylon that he too can speak through dreams, but it was limited to that? Or are there things that we can learn about maybe our own dreams that God still speaks through that? Are there things, again, things that we can learn that would apply today?
2: Yeah, I... I would say the, these are specific instances uh in terms of specific messages God has to Nebuchadnezzar, to Babylon and to uh future nations. You see a dream about uh the com- the falling and rising of kingdoms in the book in uh in Daniel chapter 2 and that's a very specific message and we actually see uh The kingdom of God is prophesied in Daniel chapter 2 as well, and the coming of the kingdom of God. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar actually has that specific dream in chapter 4 where, because he lacks humility, he goes insane and has to acknowledge God in order to regain his his sanity. But I, I think we in our modern day context, do need to be careful about dreams. I've heard, I mean, uh, people express stories where they've seen Jesus appear to them. uh, And I don't want to discount any of those things, but I I think it's always important that no matter whatever you're dreaming or even something that you're receiving via a teacher or a pastor or something, it, it needs to align with scripture. I mean, that is our authority. And so if you're hearing or believing you've experienced something that contradicts what's said in the Bible, I'd be very cautious with that because we want to make sure that we're not contradicting what God has revealed to us. And he, he's not necessarily adding new information to the gospel message or anything. So we want to be careful with any knowledge we claim to receive or that we're receiving from others.
0: Hmm. So yeah. Anna, does Daniel uh, take the credit for interpreting the dream?
2: you know he never does he never does he always wow. gives the credit back to god and in essence um, even nebuchadnezzar acknowledges that in his own polytheistic way he recognizes that daniel has what he says is this has the spirit of the holy gods in you no mystery is too difficult for you and so it's like nebuchadnezzar even acknowledges that daniel has something special about him it's not just human it is it's supernatural
0: Yeah. So this passage should encourage all of us, if we're facing any kind of difficult circumstance, uh, to know that God is in control of the future. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Absolutely. And what the funny thing is about uh, the book of Daniel is that when you actually look into the the second half of the book, uh, Daniel will be the one that has dreams and visions, and oddly enough, uh, he can't figure them out. (laughs) And so uh, these are very... uh, Interesting visions in the second half of the book, Uh, most of them, yes, predicting his future and even into our future as Christians, Uh, but God God will often send uh, an angel to help him understand those visions. And again, Daniel acknowledges he's not ever been the source of this information. It's God is the one that's providing it. And so I don't think he would have any problem acknowledging that his wisdom is finite, whereas God's is infinite.
1: You talked about the wisdom that as one of the characteristics mm-hmm. you wanted to share today. What would be another, like a second thing about Daniel that you learned as you read the book?
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I would actually, I'd talk about his practical wisdom because not only does, do we see him acknowledging uh, God in terms of his intellect and his education, but we also see him act very wisely. And so in chapter one, when uh we see him taking a stand and saying, no, I'm not going to eat the food and drink that the, the king has provided. We see him go ask permission and very tactfully try to find a way that he can realistically take a stand. And we actually hear that God is showing these officials favor and compassion. Or similarly, when he is called to interpret a dream and uh, actually he wasn't called. The other wise men were, and they were fail. They failed in chapter two, and so a death threat is put out on the wise men. The verse in chapter two, verse fourteen, actually says he navigated this with wisdom and tact. Mm-hmm. So he asked permission. Says, "Hold on, before this execution th- uh, goes forward, can we have a little bit more time? Can we have a little bit more time?" And he actually takes it to the Lord in prayer, and we see that the narrative is specifically calling out that he is calm, he's responding with confidence, but he's also responding just respectfully and wisely. And we see that he grows in this wisdom and it's his boldness later in life until we actually get to chapter six, where it's arguably his boldest stand. And he says, I'm going to keep praying to my God, even though I've been told not to. And He's thrown into the lion's den because mm-hmm. of that. He doesn't flaunt his rebellion, but he's not hiding and being coward, uh, being a coward either. He is simply going about business as usual.
1: Well, it's interesting that you just talked about two different approaches he had in two different situations. One, he was a little bit more subtle and subdued and had some tact behind Mm -hmm. it. Other times he was very bold. Is there anything that we can learn about that maybe not every situation requires the same kind of response and that's even part of wisdom?
2: Yeah, it absolutely is. I, I don't think we look at Daniel's life and we say this is exactly how we have to act. There are a variety of ways that we can live wisely. Uh, But I think we could also mention the fact that when we first learn about Daniel and him taking these stands in chapters one and two, he's probably still teenager or young 20s. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, he's probably in his 80s when he's thrown to lion's den. So maybe maturity also comes with it, too. That's not to say we can't make wise choices when we're young, but he's lived a hard life and he was ready to make a very bold stand. So. The application of wisdom can look different, uh, but I think one thing that we see from Daniel is that it's about where his wisdom is rooted. And if I can bring out what Proverbs has to say, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that is where our wisdom should begin. We're rooted in him, and wisdom is really a result of a relationship. And that's what Daniel had with God. He prioritized prayer. He prioritized staying faithful to God. And for us as Christians, we can take an application from that. As as Paul says, we have the mind of Christ, who mm-hmm. is really wisdom incarnate. And for us to be wise, we need to be united with him. And that is what is going to uh, help us in times of need. When we need to draw on wisdom, we draw on the result of, of it uh, as a result of our relationship with, with the Lord.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Anna Rask is our guest, and we are talking about the study of Daniel. And if you have not gone and signed up for that, I really encourage you to do it. Anna wrote the the program, the study, and also has this wonderful podcast on each of the six chapters. It's only the first six chapters of the book of Daniel, and you're not going to want to miss any of this. Um, one of the things that I learned, Anna, from studying so far is that, you know, when, when God doesn't spare you, or maybe not, doesn't spare a loved one from a really difficult situation, that God is still... Yeah, sovereign in control and that he is always, always good.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I know I haven't touched on much of uh, chapter three <laughs> with Daniel and his friends in the fiery furnace, but that's what they say. They say, you know, we are confident that our God is capable of rescuing us. We're not sure if he will, but that doesn't change what we believe about him. Yeah. And who he actually is. Yeah,
0: so I want to talk about that after the break, and I sure. also want to you know continue to study about the three things that we can learn about, Daniel, just because it's so amazing, and you're doing such an incredible job. Thank you so much <laughs> for uh, putting this study together and making it available to all of the Faith Radio listeners. You definitely want to sign up for this. Go to myfaithradio.com and sign up for the Daniel study. Dr. Peter Kapsner and I are so glad to have Anna in studio, and she uh, teaches right there at the University of Northwestern. So could you imagine going to class and having... Peter or Anna as your professor. How cool is that? Anyway, let's take a short break. When we come back, lots more on the book of Daniel with Anna Rask and Dr. Peter Kaffner. We'll be right back. back to the afternoon show if you're just starting your drive home i think if you turn up the volume really high you might be able to use the carpool lane but i'm not entirely sure about that my guest is anna rask dr peter kapsner and i are so much enjoying her she's written a amazing study on the book of daniel you can sign up to be part of that study at my faith com and learn more about uh the first six chapters of Daniel, which we are enjoying. So right before break, we talked about some of our th- three favorite characters, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And let's talk about that experience and also the idea that where was Daniel in all this? <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's kind of the, the glaring question in chapter yeah, three. Yeah, no kidding. Where in the world is Daniel? And yeah. one of the things I encourage my, my students not to do is over-speculate. I mean, simply... The text does not say I, I think it's logical to conclude he's somewhere else in the Babylonian Empire or on some sort of official business. Clearly, he's held in favor by the empire. And so I, I don't think it is uh, uh, necessary to s- say that he bowed down or something. I, I, I don't get evidence for that. But at the same time, it's that's an argument from silence either way of whether he was there or not there. But uh The focus is clearly on these three men who uh, literally are taking a stand. (laughs) They don't bow down uh, when they uh, uh, are basically demanded to uh, to to bow down before uh, an idol, uh, basically, uh, and worship it.
1: And... and Their response, I think, is fascinating, and maybe I've misunderstood that text, but they do say something that you said before the break, which is that our God can save us, Mm -hmm. but even if he doesn't, we still will worship him. We will not bow down to you. I mean, there's something in that, I think, right, for our faith journey, that sometimes we think God is only faithful when the results happen according to what we think is best for us. They're articulating something very different here.
2: They, They definitely are. I don't think we can ever presume upon exactly what God is going to do, and they make that very clear. They are very confident in the power and ability of God, but who am I to say, or who are they to say that, God, you must save us, (laughs) like a a demand put upon him, and who knows what God is going to do, but you see that it doesn't shake or rattle their faith. Uh, They say he's capable, but they don't presume upon God him actually doing that. And I, I just really appreciate that that sense of, even if he doesn't, that doesn't change who he is or what I believe about him. And I, I think that that's a testament to many Christian martyrs that they weren't saved. I mean, how can I, we compare Shadrach, Meshach, and Mengo's story to Christian martyrs who, I mean, God didn't save Some of them who perished and yet they stood strong in their faith. So we can't necessarily presume upon what God is going to do. But at the same time, when we're faced with a difficult situation, can we still affirm when it doesn't go our way that God is still good and he is still God?
1: Anna, you've, uh, you've talked about a couple of different characters. You wanted to tease out a second one. I know it's, and mm-hmm. we talked about his wisdom quite a bit, but what's mm-hmm. another one that you notice as you walk through this?
2: I really want to talk about his faithfulness. Cause we talked about that. He was just a teenager and he's probably living into his eighties. And that is a long stretch of time. And we never have any record of him going home. He never goes back to Jerusalem that we know of, even though in 539, uh, Cyrus the Great comes to power uh, over the Persian Empire, and he issues an edict that some of the Jewish people can go to Jerusalem. We have no record of Daniel ever going, possibly because of his age, but... From what we learn in the text, it seems he for, he lives out his existence, the rest of his existence in exile. And so I just wanted to reflect on the fact that, yeah, he's taken as basically a kid from his home. His home was destroyed, looted, and his temple to God was burned. I mean, he has to learn all of these foreign uh ways to prepare to serve the Babylonian government complete re-education and we haven't actually talked about this yet but he gets a new name he doesn't he hasn't always referred to Daniel in this book he's actually also referred to by a name Belshazzar and names were so crucially important during this time because it really included a sense of your identity and you can hear in the last part of Daniel Daniel's name is the the El, E-L. Uh, that's a reference to, in Hebrew, El Elohim, God. And so Daniel means God is my judge, whereas hmm. Belshazzar includes the word Bel, and that's a reference to uh, a Babylonian deity, probably Marduk. And so to have your identity stripped in that way um, would, would have been very difficult. And there's even a possible reference that Maybe uh, Daniel and his friends were made eunuchs. We learn about in Isaiah 39, Isaiah is speaking to Hezekiah, and he's saying, some of your descendants will be taken away into exile and become eunuchs and serve in the palace of Babylon's king. So to have even your part of your sexual identity stripped away, like this man has almost lost everything. And yet you see he is still committed to God, and he makes prayer such a priority in his life. and. We see this when he can't interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream uh, on his own in chapter 2. When he gets permission, the first thing he does is he prays. Mm. And I think that's just such a, a powerful testament when you're in need is go to God. I might just be like, well, maybe I should check my school notes of what did we learn last year in divination class? He doesn't do that. <laughs> he, he goes and he prays. And then when he gets the answer uh, to what Nebuchadnezzar's dream is, he praises God. He, he, he gives thanks to God and then he puts the credit back where, where it belongs. And again... In Daniel 6, he prays, and I think it's so fascinating when he's told not to pray. The text specifically says he does what he normally does. He goes to his room, he opens the window towards Jerusalem, and three times a day he gets down on his knees and prays, and it specifically says just as he's done before. He doesn't slip up, he doesn't falter, he doesn't change, and actually we hear the content of his prayer has to do with asking God for help clearly precipitating the fact that he, he trouble's coming. He knows he's going to be thrown into the lion's den. So prayer, it seems, is just such a crucial part of his life. Even in the midst of everything he's been been through, I think he might have felt he had every right to turn away from God. It maybe felt like God abandoned him, but God used him so much in Babylon that it, it was worth it to stay with God and to not give up on him. So I, I looked to Daniel in that sense is he loses just about everything except his relationship with God.
0: Hmm. I'd love to back up a little bit to uh, idolatry, Sure, know, just because uh, I think Christians today are faced with all kinds of temptations of idolatry. What would you consider some of the ones that Christians might struggle with?
2: Yeah, and I actually ask my students this. I say, can we make a list of modern-day idol, idolatry, and uh, there are still, I mean, idols in the world today, like little figurines or big figurines. And I mean, there's still certainly people that bow down to those, but in essence, idolatry is anything that occupies the the first place in your heart and your mind, and is, is the thing you always think about, thinking uh, the, the thing that occupies your, your time and attention and your devotion, and so we think about idolatry when I am in class with my students and we come up with things like, well, our phones, social media can at times be things that get all of our time and attention and might be at times the thing pushing God out and that gets our our priority um, our Our own selves, we can make idols at times as well, and saying i 'm going to put myself on the throne of my life, God, you can take the back seat um, obviously i mean there 's a variety of other things uh, that could take potential uh, places, such as i mean if you are uh, abusing alcohol or having uh, uh, in essence uh, sex as a, a over desire and and something that is taking an unhealthy place in your life i mean we all have to worship something, and if it's not God, something else is going to get our worship.
1: Mm. I was listening to um, N.T. Wright this morning, yeah. and actually, just talk about that very thing and saying that the antidote to our idolatry is actually to turn towards the practice of worship mm-hmm. instead of just trying to shy away or, or grit our teeth through not wanting to have an idol in our life. Mm-hmm. If we turn and worship, actually, and we see Daniel doing that, right? He's, he's regularly praying and worshiping yeah. in the midst of all the idolatry of the day.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he puts right. his focus back on God.
1: And,
0: and I also think, too, uh, maybe it was Augustine who said, he was talking about disordered loves. Mm. It's not that you love something bad, but you love something good too much. I mean, yes. there's nothing wrong mm-hmm. with loving your family, but if you love them and place them more important than mm-hmm. even in your relationship with God. It's a disordered love.
2: Yeah. And I mean, Jesus was very clear about that with money <laughs> as well. It's not that money is the root of all evil. It's the love of money. That's the root of all evil. So yeah, wrongly ordered desire, uh, something that could be good, but it's an excess now and it becomes uh, the thing that fully takes over.
0: And that's, probably something we all struggle with we 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 love something so much that mm-hmm. we feel that it, it it could possibly be something that threatens our our walk with even god because we have such great intense love for earthly things uh kids grandkids all that kind of stuff
2: yeah yeah absolutely uh yeah i think we're all uh in danger of putting an idol into our life so we we have to be uh, vigilant, and we have to be aware of uh what we're spending our time on, what gets our attention and our focus and um I was in a Bible study last year, and they reminded me that God can't just be uh an important part of your life; he has to be the priority <laughs> it's not like Jesus is a priority, he is the priority, and yeah. having anything else supersede that is is where problems start y-
0: You said that so much better than I did Thank
2: oh. you, Anna, for that. <laughs>
0: Was, I throw it out there, and she corrects it. It's just fantastic, <laughs> it.
2: and
1: she does it in this subtle and gentle way, doesn't she? It's, yeah, it's, it's been it's been amazing. And I just you know, this whole idea about idolatry, but Daniel's faithfulness in the midst of it too. He, I'm just compelled. I didn't know that he was maybe 80 years old mm-hmm. by the time he went into the lion's den, as you, you've indicated. So we might learn some things that Daniel never got a chance to return to the land, maybe his right. home, maybe where he thought that he would belong, and yet he stayed faithful all the way through. And and I just. There's got to be something in that for us, right? That th- we, we think we're going to get something if we remain faithful. And yet at the end of the day, he just simply remained faithful.
2: Absolutely. And if I can point us back to exactly what's said about him in chapter six. Uh, so these uh, officials are are trying to trip him up because they're so jealous of the favor that's been given to him. Um, they can't find any character flaw. They can't find anything wrong with him. And so they realize they have to make something up. And they actually say the only thing that we can get him on is his religious convictions, because they, in essence, know he'll disobey the king before he'll disobey God. And one, that's amazing. But two, they know that. And I think that is fascinating to think about, that these Babylonian leaders know that that is a priority for Daniel. And I mean, if we can have people in our lives know that about us, that uh, our religious convictions come first, that's a huge testament. And who knows exactly how Daniel uh, showed that in his life. But the fact that people had to make something up and they knew how important his God was to him, they went to great lengths to try and tear him down. Hmm.
0: Anna, it's like you've done this before. <laughs> I'm just saying. You are a, you're a pro. Let me take a little break. Anna Rask is our guest. Uh, we're talking about this wonderful study on the book of Daniel, but just the first six chapters, we're doing it uh, over the six days. You can go to myfaithradio.com. You can download the study written by our guest, Anna Rask. If you have a question because you're day three into the study and you've already found something that you must get answered, let me know what that is. You can send the question over to 877-933-2484 and Anna will answer it uh, for you right on the spot. Again, 877-933-2484. Be right back. Kapsner and I are talking about people from the Old Testament. We're delighted to have Anna Rask in studio as our guest talking about Daniel. We'll probably talk about Daniel lots more, but we're going to cover Old Testament uh, characters for the next year. So we're going to learn a lot about the Old Testament. And Anna's really helping us learn a lot about Daniel. Now, I know this study, if you go to myfaithradio.com and download this study, it covers chapters one through six, but we know we don't want you to stop reading there. And Anna, I think you're willing to give us a little preview of chapters 7 to 12.
2: Yeah, a little preview. This is a super one. complicated uh, second half of the book. Much more difficult to the, than the first because the first half is narrative. Uh, we switch into what's called apocalyptic prophecy, which uh, sounds confusing. Apocalyptic simply means revelation. So God is going to reveal certain things to Daniel in dreams and visions. And if you do keep reading, I will just m- make a note that Daniel, the book, is not arranged chronologically. Uh, in fact, the chapters seven and eight uh, go back in time a little bit. Uh, chapters seven and eight take place uh, probably around the events of chapter five, uh, the writing of on the wall. And then chapters nine through 12 actually take place after the Persians have taken over. So we're talking nine thirty. 539 BC and after and so those visions right at the end of the book Daniel is much much older uh, at this time and that's kind of correlating when he's thrown into the lion's den but Daniel is given dreams and visions that are presented graphically and in non realistic symbols. Uh, So, if you've ever read the book of Revelation, it sounds very similar to that. And he often has no idea what they mean, but God sends an angel to help him understand. And we hear that he writes down a lot of what he sees. And what's so powerful about the second half of the book is that. These dreams and visions are not isolated to the physical realm. The curtain is pulled back, so to speak, and he sees what's going on in the spiritual realm. In chapter 7, he gets to see the very throne room of God, but he also gets to see and stare into really the face of human evil. And we see that some of these events uh, have probably already happened. Uh, chapter 8, Lee talks about the events that actually lead up to what we know now as Hanukkah. And Daniel seize the persecution and then liberation of the Jewish people. But in general, these dreams and visions leave him exhausted, confused, and fearful. At times, he even faints and collapse or is utterly speechless. And supernatural beings come to assist him and help him. And sometimes he's even overwhelmed by their power. But what we need to remember, and actually, this is the point of Revelation, too, is God is not trying to scare us with these dreams and visions uh, and the information in them. Actually, the purpose is to comfort us and comfort Daniel and other faithful believers in his generation. And God's communicating to Daniel that suffering and oppression will come. But we don't have to be afraid because God is and always will be in control And his salvation will triumph, and that's an encouragement to believers past, present, and future, and something we need to remember as we might endure present and then future persecution up until Christ returns. Uh, The fact that God is in control and he'll make this right, and it's not our job to figure out how or when he will do that. Hmm.
1: And as part of that, uh, is seven through 12 passage of scripture, I think you called it apocalyptic mm-hmm. prophecy. Is that, mm-hmm. that, was, that was the most? Yeah. One? So in, in chapter seven, he says that he has a vision where yes. he sees one, like the son of man who's yes. coming on the clouds, who approaches the throne of the ancient of days and that he's given dominion and authority and yes. power and like this eternal sort of kingdom. Now, Jesus references this passage yeah. about himself, right, in front yeah. of the Sanhedrin in the book of Mark when they're putting him on trial. Is he truly the son of God? Mm-hmm. He looks back to Daniel.
2: Yeah, son of man is actually the most common title Jesus uses for himself, and I, I do give the Sanhedrin some credit. They know exactly what hmm. he's talking about, but they're just extremely offended by what he's talking about. Uh, so he is associating his himself with the figure of Daniel 7 and saying, I am that figure riding on the clouds next to the right hand, seated next to the right hand of God. And so he is making that claim for himself, and that is what makes them so angry. And they say he's a blasphemer, and that is the, the precursor to him being put to death. So, yeah, he makes that association uh, and to say that is him.
1: Yeah, and one of the things that I've heard about that is it looks like in the earthly realm that it's actually Jesus who's on trial in front of the power mm. of the kingdom of this mm-hmm. world, but it's actually the Sanhedrin's on trial as the Son of Man is standing there. It's, it's yeah. a fascinating passage, yeah. and this is, I don't know if Daniel could see that coming, but yeah. but clearly he's got a lot going on in these dreams and prophecies.
2: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I just want to end with one little bit of information we get from chapter 10. Uh, as we've talked about the Whole life of Daniel. I I love what he hears about himself in chapter 10. In verses 11 and 18, we hear that Daniel is described as a man who is highly esteemed by God Hmm. or is very precious to God. And actually, the Hebrew word uh, that we learn uh, in this particular verse is the word Hamad. And that actually comes from the main verb uh, that we learn in one of the Ten Commandments. It's to covet. And so in a very positive way, Daniel is a man who is precious to God, highly desired, and coveted by God. Mm. And I just find that so beautiful. God takes pleasure, great pleasure in Daniel. And I think this is because we see that God honored Daniel's faithfulness and Daniel stayed faithful all the way through.
0: Fascinating. Anna, what are some of the most commonly asked questions about the book of Daniel?
2: A lot. <laughs> Probably the whole second half of what's going on yeah. there. Uh, yeah, but when well, you
0: know, you're know you talking to your students, what what questions seem to come up? Most often,
2: yeah. I mean, there's some issues regarding certain like historical figures, uh, and they ask a few questions, like uh, kind of a fun one in chapter five. They're like, "Well, who's this guy Belshazzar?" Uh, So they ask kind of about some historical figures, and you got to do a little bit of your background research to learn that Belshazzar is uh, a co-regent, and chapter five actually takes place 23 years after Nebuchadnezzar died, and so just to to get some of that background information, I think is fascinating for students. But uh, I think one of the biggest questions that I pose, and then the the students also pose to me too, is how do we be like Daniel? How do we live like Daniel in the midst of a hostile culture? And uh, I think what the book of Daniel teaches us is that, I mean, Daniel wasn't a Christian, Jesus hadn't come yet, but I think the book shows us that we're not trying to make our culture Christian, but we're trying to live like Christians in this culture. And I think that's the main point is there's a variety of ways to do this, a variety of ways to express wisdom uh, in a hostile culture, but we get some great advice from Daniel on how to do that. And I think that that is a, a great point to leave everyone with is... We're looking to be in the world, not of it, as Jesus described.
1: Can you say that one more time? You said that in a way about how we're, to in, inter- we're not trying to change the culture. We're living, how did you say that? You yeah, said, about, yeah.
2: Bill, see, she just causes us to stump. We can't
1: even get full senses out around her.
2: We're not trying to make the culture Christian, but live as a Christian in a hostile culture. Hmm.
0: Yeah. We're not we're not intimidated by how smart you are. I will add, but I will add,
1: Peter and I can bench more than you.
2: Okay. Hey, I do my body
1: pump. <laughs> there we go. Anna, we just have a couple minutes left. I, I, just even selfishly, one of the stories I've yeah. never understood is the story of the disembodied hand oh, yeah. on the wall. Is there any wisdom? You, why is this story in there? And, and what is happening when this hand appears on the wall?
2: I think we we have to think of it as I mean. They're, the Babylonians, again, are trained in omens and divination. They clearly regard it as something from the gods, uh, and they're terrified by it, but they don't, they don't know what it is uh, and what it's—it's it's being said. So I don't know why God chose to use a disembodied hand, but it's about the message. They can't understand what the message is. And basically, the message on the wall is that, hey, Babylon, you've been measured and you've been found wanting and your time is up.
1: Hmm. That's really yeah. helpful.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So good. I want to encourage everyone listening to go to MyFaithRadio.com. If you want to uh, continue to learn about the first six chapters of the book of Daniel, you can go sign up to be part of the study. We're already in day three. We're trying to read a chapter a day. And we've got uh, wonderful study notes. And you can also uh, hear Anna's podcast that she created for it as well. It's all available at MyFaithRadio.com radio.com. Peter, this has uh, been quite an interesting hour as we discuss Old Testament uh, people.
1: Yeah, it's been great. I've decided actually I sent a note to my students that I'm canceling all my classes tomorrow and I'm (laughs) going to go to Anna's (laughs) class instead. I can't wait.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you did an amazing job, Anna, though, of making it so accessible. And you've just brought so much to the table that uh, that new information for me, for sure. I I guess I haven't studied Daniel as carefully as I thought. (laughs)
2: Well, I'm happy to help. It's been a joy to walk through it. And I'm all about learning about the context behind uh, these chapters so we can get a better understanding of uh, how to read it properly.
1: Yeah, I don't know but I mean, I've so appreciated this. I feel like I'm sort of going back to the real world. I've been standing in Babylon for the last hour or so, understanding the passage and come up for air. It's just been amazing, Anna. So thank you.
2: You're absolutely welcome.
1: Well, it was a delight having
0: you. And Peter, again, thank you for this uh, hour. And we're looking forward to continuing our study of people from the Old Testament. We'll probably do this for at least a year because there's so many people we're going to learn about. And uh, Anna, you've done a wonderful job helping us. So thanks again. That is all the show we have for today. I want to thank all of my guests, uh, Dr. Gregory Jantz, who talked about uh, if you deal with someone who is suicidal, you might want to go check out that podcast And then also David Mathis, who wrote a book on uh, being humbled, which is also an amazing interview. If you want to go get in on that drawing, you can text the word book to 877-933-2484. And be sure to go to myfaithradio.com and sign up for the Reading the Bible Together. That's the Daniel study written by Anna Rask. Have a great night, everyone. As you lay your head on the pillow, know that God's working out his great plan in your life. We'll see you tomorrow.